All right, we are in a new series that we started last week called Moving Forward, and I want to um, share the second part with you today. I'm going to open up with 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It's going to be on the screen for you to read as well. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, would you say new creation? The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And today we thank you. Thank you for safe places to worship you and to honor you, to experience you, to be transformed by you, to know of your love, to know of your story, and God, to have great hope for the future. Jesus, we open up our hearts to you and to your word right now, and we ask God for you to write on the tablets of our heart and, Lord, to speak. Thank you for your ability to speak to us. You've spoken to us through your word, but, God, the way your Holy Spirit can make your words alive and living and meaningful in the moment. And Lord, today we open up our hearts to hear what you have to say for us. I pray for the empowerment and the leading of your spirit to share your holy word. We thank you. We love you. We worship you in Jesus name. Amen. So in this um, new series called Moving Forward, we're looking at keys to help you move forward in your life in what God has for you. Last week in part one, our our subtitle was The Point of No Return. And we talked about how Elijah, with an S-H, how he destroyed everything that he had um, so that when he received the the call of the future that uh, that God had for him, he made sure that there was no way that he could go back and he was all in. And we looked at that in Scripture. And, you know, sometimes to move forward in a place in your life where you are stuck and where you feel this tension, sometimes you just have to be a bit drastic and say, you know what, I'm making a clear-cut decision of conviction. I feel like I know the way the Lord wants me to go. I'm not going to be double-minded, and I'm going to move in this way. We talked about burning the ships, if you will. Um, And you can check that out on the podcast if you missed it last week. This week, our theme for moving forward is that we won't look back. We won't look back. And to set up today's message, I want to tell you the story of Saul in Scripture. And um, when I say Saul, there's a couple of them in Scripture. There's an Old Testament Saul who was the first king of Israel. And we're not going to talk about that one today. We're going to talk about the Saul in the New Testament. And um, this Saul was in the book of Acts in the very beginning. He was very much against Christianity. Matter of fact, he persecuted Christians, and uh, he, he was present at the first martyrdom after Jesus had gone up to heaven. It was a guy named Stephen. They stoned Stephen for his faith in Jesus. And Saul, it says that he stood over there, uh, over the, presiding over it, if you will, holding their cloaks. So as you might imagine, Saul was very feared, um, and rightfully so, and had quite a reputation. And we're going to pick this story up in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, 
so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. So you see the setup of the story. He's ready to go to Damascus. He's ready to round up some Christians and to uh, arrest some Christians. Did you all know that that still happens today? Right? There are places in the world where you cannot openly be a Christian um, and not have your safety in jeopardy. Uh, But I will tell you, ironically, in those places, there are some of the most powerful, committed believers in the world who inspire us. Amen? Because their, their faith comes at a cost, they're willing to give so much more for it because of the realness of it and the preciousness of it. And I think that's something that we should honor and be inspired, to, for, inspired by uh, because you all know that most of the pressures that we face in our life are social pressures when it comes to the gospel. Right? Will they like me? Will I lose my job? Which that matters, but it certainly doesn't matter compared to somebody's eternity, right? I mean, there's, we, we think in, these, in a different realm of uh, context than somebody who's being persecuted. Now, let's go on to verse 3. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Y'all, I love this scripture. I want to see this like in full like IMAX theater when I get to heaven. I just want to go into the theater of heaven and watch the whole thing. Maybe by then it will be like 3D, right? Maybe, I don't know what kind of technology they have. But Saul is literally on his horse, on his way, ready, and the Lord knocks him down, if you will, and, and, and he is in this place and he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know about you, but I would be a little freaked out. Would you be freaked out? Like if your car on 64 went off the side of the road in a blinding light and you just heard this voice saying, you know, whatever your name is, why are you persecuting me? I would be like, who are you? Because whoever you are, I want to stop right now. And he says, I am Jesus. I wonder if in his mind in that moment he went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, right? Like, uh uh-oh, the one that I am persecuting against, the one that I am rounding up his followers, the one, he is the one who's who's knocked me down, and he's, he's blinded. And he can't see. And so Paul, Saul, excuse me, he's led um, to Damascus uh, by the people that he is with, and he's blind, and he can't see a thing. And the wild thing is the people with him could not hear what was going on. All they saw was, you know, the, the after effect of it all, right? Meanwhile, the Lord appears to the man named Ananias. In verse 11 of chapter 9, it says this, The Lord told him, Ananias, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, And ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come to his place and place hands on him and restore his sight. So Ananias gets this call, and and the Lord speaks to him and says, Listen, I want you to go to this specific house, and I want you to uh, lay your hands on this Saul. And Ananias, he's, he's like up to date. Apparently he's been... Um, you know, reading up on the news, he knows exactly who Saul is, and he resists the Lord. He's like, um, Lord, like, 
this guy is like killing Christians. He's rounding them up. And, and what's great is the Lord tells him, I gave him your name and told him you're coming. They're like, really? Did you have to tell him who I am? And the Lord's just, you know, have you ever noticed like when the Lord tells you to do something, he doesn't go, oh, never mind. It's okay that you don't want to. If you have had that experience, you're probably deceived. Anyhow, um, (laughs) but he, he says he goes to the house and he meets with Saul, which is pretty risky. He lays hands on him and it says that that like scales fell out off of Saul's eyes. And not only could he see in the natural, but he could see the truth now. And he could see this new life that God had for him. And it says that immediately he was used of the Lord. And immediately he was preaching in the synagogues. I'm sure that took him by surprise that day. When he rolled up in there on a Saturday in the synagogue. And he's sitting there and he starts pulling out scripture and preaching about this is this Jesus. Talk about a dramatic transformation and a dramatic change. I know for me in my life, that's how my conversion was. It was like one day. Now, the, the lead time to it, there was a lot that the Lord did uh, leading up to it. But when, when my day came and when I gave my heart to Jesus, it was a dramatic one. Like, this was the day. Did anybody have that kind of experience in your life where it was like, once I was lost and now I am found and I'm going this way? Saul's his conversion is an amazing story. But it's really not the end of the story. And the fascinating thing about Saul's story is that it's the part that I just told you is not the most well-known part of his story. God would, would use this Saul to spread the gospel of Jesus. And he would spread it and share the gospel among the non-Jewish people, which the Bible calls Gentiles. Um, throughout the entire empire, and he would plant more churches, and he would write scriptures. As a matter of fact, he's written more books of the Bible than any of us know about, than it, or of anyone that we know about. And, of course, the way that we know him, most of us know him, is we would call him the Apostle Paul. And the reason we call him the Apostle Paul is because Paul was the, the Greek version of his Hebrew name, Saul. Does that make sense? And since he was going amongst uh, the other other nations, if you will, and he was ministering to people who weren't Israelites, he would use the name Paul instead of Saul because it was more relatable to him. But when we think about the Apostle Paul, and if you've had time and begun to study Scripture and look at books of the Bible, you begin to find out the Apostle Paul did a whole lot. And if I were to tell you all the things that he did in planting churches and writing Scripture and the impact that he had, it would far outshadow the story of his past. And you know, I want to read you this perspective. This is one of the scriptures that the Apostle Paul wrote, Philippians 3.12. It says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet having taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Would you say that phrase, forgetting what is behind? 
I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what, I, what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Y'all, Saul, if you will, had a past of persecuting Christians. He had a past of coming against God's church. And yet most of the time when we think about him, we don't even consider that. We don't even consider his testimony, if you will. Like he would probably be in places and he would tell them the story and they'd be like, what? You got what? And you were blind and you what? And, you know, like people would be like, that's amazing. But when we read scripture and when we read about his life and we hear about his life, we are overwhelmed at the future that God had for him that it almost makes us forget his past. Do you have anything in your life, in your past, that is worth forgetting? I love this phrase, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. There's something about that perspective in Saul. And it's not that Saul would never mention his past. As a matter of fact, in this scripture, he's talking about his past. He's talking about what a good Jewish believer he was. And when it came to obeying the law, like he was the best at obeying the law. He was the best at all of these things. And he's basically saying, but when I met Jesus, I just kind of, all of that stuff is fulfilled. I'm forgetting all that kind of stuff. And I am pursuing this Jesus. I'm pursuing who he is because I, I want to press on to take hold of what he has taken hold of for me. This, this idea of the things in our past that we would want to forget. I think a lot of us have, you know, things we want to forget. We have some decisions that we've made in our past that we'd like to forget. We have some lifestyles in our past that we'd like to forget. We, maybe we have some relationships in the past that were not healthy that we want to, to, uh, to forget. And the thing is, is that we can't, we have to, to, we can't underestimate the power, the significance, the impact of turning our lives over to Jesus and what that means as far as a new life. Remember, I, I opened up with this scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.16 that says, For now we regard no one uh, from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, anyone, anyone... Anyone who is in Christ, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. This concept of the new life is so profound. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, when it talks about baptism, it, it emphasizes this point. Let me read it to you. In Romans 6, 3, it says, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. What it's saying is that when we are baptized, it's like we take that old life and we bury it. And that when we raise up out of that water, if you will, that with this new life that we have is just like Jesus when he was raised from the dead in the resurrection life, that there is this new life that he has for us. And, you know, just mentioning baptism, you know, if you haven't been baptized, 
I want to encourage you to be baptized. Um, it's an awesome signif- uh, signal of your faith and uh, a pronouncement of your faith that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. We're going to have baptisms in December. I think it's on the 15th of December. If you want to get baptized before then and you can't wait, you just let us know and we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen sooner. But in baptism, it's representing how significant this new life is. And the thing is, is Jesus, when you follow him, he gives you this new life. But has anybody ever felt the drag of your old life? I want to tell you this morning, the enemy, he wants to keep you in your past. And what he wants to do is he wants to take your past and keep it in your present. When I say it that way, doesn't doesn't that seem like, no, that shouldn't be. You know what I'm talking about? How can you take my past and put it in my present? It's my past. And, you know, the way the enemy does it is he wants to define us by our past. This is who you were, and you can't escape that. And there, there are labels that we are used and labels that, that other people have used, and there are comments that people make, and there are things that are used to define us in our past. That what he wants to, the enemy wants to do is he wants to push it into our present. There's, there's shame. He'll take the shame of our past and push it into our present, and, you know, the, when, we, when we take hold of that, you can feel the very shame that you felt right in your present. And, y'all, there is something wrong about that. There is something unjust about that. And the reason it's so unjust is that Jesus took it. How dare anyone propel forward the shame into our life in the present when it's been taken on the cross. There's something wrong with that. There's just something wrong. And you know, the other thing the enemy will do is he'll take, he'll take your past and he will intimidate you. He'll intimidate you and he'll create fear so that in your, in your present and as you walk towards your future, you are bound by your past and intimidated by the experiences, intimidated by what's happened in the past, and it can paralyze you in the present. But y'all, it's not the truth. It's not the truth. Many times where the enemy likes to work in our lives is in places where we're willing to believe a lie or in the places of the weakness of our character. And when it comes to believing in a lie, that's why he's given us his word and his Holy Spirit so that we have something else that we can grab onto. Because you see, your mind and your thinking is going to grab on to a truth, right? Whose truth are you going to believe? Well, one of them's a lie. But I tell you what, you can build your life around a lie. Am I right? And so what we have to do is we have to begin to say, am I a new creation? Has he made me new? Does my past have power and authority over me? Now, don't get me wrong. I really believe God likes to heal us from things of our past. He likes to, to um, transform things from our past. He likes to deal with things in our, in our past. But what he doesn't want is for our past to rule our present and our future. 
There's a big, big difference. It's not this kind of thing like la, 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 like it didn't have la, 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 la. You try that and you're going to run into a wall real hard because things have to be dealt with. But they're dealt with an authority and they're dealt with a grace and dealt with the love of the cross. And there's so much uh, of his presence and his power and his authority that deals with those things in a way which they don't have power and authority over your life. I remember uh, many of you know my story where I was an atheist and right before I graduated high school, I gave my heart to Jesus. There's a longer version of the story. If you'd like to listen to it, I'd love to tell you it. But May 5th, 1992, I gave my heart to Jesus. And instead of going off to the Marine Corps and instead of becoming like the best accountant ever, like I thought I could become, how ambitious is that, right? Anyhow, um, I went off to Bible college. And I was in Bible college, and it was an amazing experience. But I'd just given my life to Jesus, and and I had so much regret. Anybody ever had any regret? Regret is a mean master, a terrible master. I had regret of all the time I had lost. Of course, I look back now, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, I was an 18-year-old in Bible college going, oh, I lost all this time, oh, and I'm thinking, you know, in my life, that was a lot of time. Now I look back and I'm like, golly day, decades are just rolling by, right, losing hair and all that kind of stuff, it's just rolling by. But in that, my perspective then, I was like, man, so much time and so much regret of time that I lost. And then I, uh, the enemy had a really good way of reminding me of all the ways that I had sinned. That ever happened to you? Just remind you of the darkness, remind you of your selfishness, remind you of all of those things, and just kind of, it's like tapping on you. And, you know, there'd be times where I would feel guilty, and I didn't even know why. I just, it was like a jacket I put on in the morning. I, I just feel guilty. It's just what I am. It's just, and the enemy was welcome to, he was so willing to help me build around the lies of my past, these feelings and these um, thoughts that were, were pulling me back and, le- and, and, and pressing me down and keeping me from the best that God had for me. So much guilt and so much regret. And I just, I had this over oversensitivity to guilt and it caused me to be really legalistic and I was so hard on myself and then the Lord just kind of graciously helped me to think differently he helped me to stop building on a lie and start building on a truth and from a practical standpoint the way that he did it was that he said listen every time the enemy reminds you of your past first you need to remind him of his future because it's already set I was like, oh, I like that. I like that. He says, then, every time the enemy reminds you of your past, I want you to turn it into worship. And I was like, how's that? He says, I want you, every time the enemy reminds you of your past, I want you to take that thing and go, Jesus, I thank you that you have forgiven me for that. I thank you, Lord, that that you bore that on the cross for me. I thank you that it doesn't have power and authority over my life anymore. I thank you that you came and you saved me from all of that. And I thank you that you've set me free from it. It just makes me want to worship you, God. It just makes me want to praise you, God, and just thank you, God, for what you've done and how you set me free. And you know what? I tell you what. If every time the enemy reminds you you passed, you start giving a little praise, raise a hallelujah, 
he's going to stop. So it'd be like every time I go to them with that thought, that story, and that shame, and that guilt, they start worshiping. The last thing the enemy wants to do is cause you to worship. That was a God strategy. And it, the Lord really used it to set me free. The reality is, you know, the enemy, he wants to keep us in the patterns of the past in our new life. And it's not the truth. And to move forward in life, you have to be willing to leave the patterns of the past in the past and walk in the new life. Some of us, when I say this, I'm not beating up on you. I'm saying this is who we are. These are the challenges that we have. Some of us, we have a pattern of, rela- of how relationships were handled in the past. Relationships within our family, relationships outside of our family, relationships with authority, re- relationships. And it's like there's a pattern of how things were always done. And while we have received this new life, we keep returning to a pattern that doesn't work. And sometimes you have to step out of the pattern and say, no, division and unforgiveness, rebellion, uh, rude and, and wrong thoughts and all these things, all of these things, I'm not going to walk in those patterns anymore. That really was the past. God is setting a new pattern in my new life. Sometimes it's simple and practical things like how do we handle work and how do we handle our businesses or how do we handle uh, those, those interactions and things like that. And God says, you know what? You are not bound by those patterns anymore. There's a new life and a new way to live your life. And what's beautiful about all that is it's very relational because the Lord wants to, to, to relate to you and to lead you out of it. It says that he's our shepherd. He leads us out of those things. Let me read you this scripture in Philippians again. This scripture that, again, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, this is how he looked at his past. Philippians 3.12, Not only have I obtained all this, or have already arrived on my, at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold from me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet have, having taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind And straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which Jesus Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's perspective is what's behind me is behind me. He's like forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I've got a question for you. What is ahead of you? Sometimes we're not moving forward because we're paralyzed looking at the past and looking at the future. And Paul's perspective is so dramatic. Y'all, it's behind me. It's behind me. It's behind me so much that people don't even think about it anymore. We don't even talk about it that much anymore because that was his past. His past doesn't define him. He has to bring it up for us to remember it. Wouldn't you like in your life... For you to be the one who has to bring up your past rather than everyone else? Come on. Wouldn't that be great? Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. What is it that God has ahead of you? You've got to fix your eyes on what's in front of you. I love 
what he says in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Can I tell you that I know one of the things that God has in front of you is life. He has life and life to the full. He has a, a good plan for you. Now, when I say that, that's not for our selfishness to latch on to. Well, good, because I got a list for you. Like, it's not like that, but it's good, and it's good for you, and it's good for the people around you, and it's pleasant. The, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, and surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. There is something good ahead of you, but you've got to forget what's behind, and you've got to press forward to what is ahead. You can't let those things have power over you because the reality is God is transforming us into his likeness and his image. And if you say, but Pastor Mike, this thing in my past has so much power or it has had so much draw and has defined so much in my life, well, maybe today's the day it needs to stop. Maybe you need to draw a line in the sand and say, no, no longer will my relationships be defined by unforgiveness or by division. And no longer will my life be defined by shame or by regret or by those kinds of things. Because I have at some point got to move forward in my life. I just want to encourage you. Don't look back. Don't look back. Let God heal things. Let him transform the way that you think. Let him deal with things. But don't live there. And don't let it have authority over you. And don't let it define you. Where this gets really practical, if you will, is the word repent means to change your mind. Right? And we think about it as, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to do something different. And it, it, it has that meaning But the real root of it is the reason I'm sorry is because I see what I'm doing is wrong and I'm going to change the way that I think, the seed of my conscience about the matter, and that's going to change the way that I act. I was going this way and doing this way. My thinking is different and now I'm going to do this way. Y'all follow me? We think of repentance many times as a thing that happens when we receive Jesus, but actually repentance is something that happens all our life because he's still changing the way I think. And so there are things in our past that, we, that were wrong and inappropriate and all those kind of things. But what God wants to do is he wants to change the way we think about matters so that we don't build around the lie and we can build around the truth and create a future that he has for us and that he has in mind for us. Do you see that picture today? And the reason I say that's practical is sometimes there, there are some of us who we, we feel like this tractor beam from our past. And the reality is the enemy has no authority to use your past against you. Do you hear that today? He does not have the authority to use that again. You were bought with a price. But where the enemy will undermine you is where your thinking is still in the past. If you will allow the Lord Jesus to transform your thinking, you can build around a truth, his truth, and what he has for you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up this morning. and.